Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today you're tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic, Reflections, and Shadows, where I take a topic and run with it. Today I'm going to be talking about a more esoteric and obscure topic, the Sabian symbols in astrology. Uh, so before we get started, however, Michael has a few announcements. Hey everybody, welcome back to our broadcast and we're really happy to have you guys here. Next week, Chris and I are going to do our own show, so we've decided to do the topic of folk cures and remedies. So some of them are pretty disgusting, it'll be really fun, and uh, we're going to go through maybe a few superstitions and things like that too, so it's going to be a really fun show for us. Um, so we're going to not take up too much time today, just get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. And while you're there, if you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It really helps us cover our production cost. And one of the best things you can do is go to YouTube and click like and subscribe on our channel. And that really does help tremendously and makes us very happy too. So let's not take up too much time because I know Krista has a lot of ground to cover today. So with that, take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. So how I came to this topic today, um, when I first started the uh, Spell It Out episodes, I did a topic on Know Thyself, and then I did a series of shows that were connected to different metaphysical ways to actually get to know yourself, from looking at your natal chart, to numerology, uh, to animal totems, so I did all of that, and these are, again, just the things that I have experienced, and so a while ago, I came across this book. It's called The Sabian Symbols and Astrological Analysis by Blaine Bovey. I'm going to hold it up for you guys that can see it on YouTube but I, I will also put a link to it in the comments. And I, I um, initially I looked at it and I uh, liked it, but I didn't really use it right away. And then lately I've been going to look for more symbolic ways to approach the astrology charts. And so I, I remembered this book and I'm going to tell you sort of why it's really different. Um, but that's the reason why I'm bringing it up today. It's just another way to go deeper into your natal chart but it's a very unique way, and it's very, uh, anyone that likes poetry will particularly like it, or if you like Cohen, Zen Cohen's, you're going to also appreciate it. It's another layer of looking at yourself, uh, and you could probably use the Vedic chart too, because it's going to be based on the degrees of the planets. So exactly what are they? In his book, Blaine Bovey, he says they are a set of 360 symbols corresponding to the degrees of the zodiac. So there's uh, one for each degree. Created in 1925 by Mark Edmund Jones with the help of a medium, Elsie Wheeler, the symbols were noted in pencil on note cards and an extraordinary one-day session in San Diego, California. So it's also really interesting because Mark... Uh, Edmund, uh, he was very well known as an astrologer. I'm going to talk about his bio a little bit. But he specifically wanted someone not intellectual 
to be the channel for these uh, the symbols. So I thought it was really interesting. And she's also, you're going to find, is a very interesting uh, lady, not just your uh, sort of average person. Uh, then, then he says, Bovi goes on to say that the, the Sabian symbols are not just for astrologers. They're for anyone who delights in contemplative thought and will recognize the intricate weaving of sense that runs through all manifestations of human life. From the beginnings of life through the individuation process as life unfolds to the temporal finality of human existence, the Sabian symbols touch on every compelling motive of the human journey. The rich array of motif covers relationships, socialization, political elements, cultural dynamics, spiritual pursuits, and the relationship with the sacred. So I wanted to give that full quote because I really I like his writing too. And obviously the person that I also have his book here, uh, The Sabian Symbols in Astrology by Dr. Mark Edmund Jones. This one is a little harder to find. I would totally, totally encourage you to get both books. Um, there are lots of books on the Sabian Symbols, so you'll be drawn to other ones as well. But I will tell you one of the things that these two have in common is that they stick to the original words that were channeled. So evidently over time, some astrologers got a little creative and they decided to change the phrases. And uh, I like that Bovi sort of argues that we maybe shouldn't do that. I think some of it's because the language is a little dated or the images are a little dated. Uh, so I agree that that's probably, you should at least start with that and, and always have at least one copy um, of, of these books. I would say also uh, the other thing that I like about both the books and maybe all the Sabian symbol books have this is Dr. Jones had keywords what that go with each of the phrases. We're going to, I'll give you some examples of it. And so they're also kind of interesting to think about. Um, so anyway, they were, they were created, however, with this, this union of a male and female, which was interesting too, because it was during that time you had the golden dawn and you had that male female, um, uh, pair in other ways, like creating tarot decks. And, and so I kind of liked that, that it was both a man and a woman who did it. So um, who can use them? Well, we kind of went over them a little bit. Let me spend a little time now on just each of the, the people involved in creating them. So Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, he lived from October 1st, 1888 to March 8th, 1980. So he had a pretty long life there. Uh, he actually dropped out of high school and he later went on, however, to get his PhD in philosophy from Columbia University. So that's really, that was kind of neat too. Uh, and then he participated in the creation of the movie industry and was in instrumental in founding what later became the Screenwriters Guild. He was a philosopher, author of the book Occult Philosophy, and was very well known as an astrologer. And this, there's a little more of that. This is the bio from this book I have on him. And there's a little bit more in there, but just to give you an idea of who he was. And then Elsie uh, Wheeler, there's not as much known about her, though you, you'll find at least some websites that have found a little bit of information about her. I found this on sabiansymbols.com. Uh, she was born September 3rd, 1887, and she died November 26, 1938. She was born in Norris City, Southern Illinois, uh, and then I said, not much is known about her, but what is known about her, she was severely afflicted with rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis, and she spent most of her life in a wheelchair. She also had a really tragic beginning. She was an orphan. Uh, well, I guess you could say maybe by 1895, because her mother died in 1891, her father in 1894, and then her maternal grandmother in 1895. 
And so she ended up living most of a good part of her life, like 30 years, in the Bethesda Hospital Home for the Incurables in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, this is certainly a life you can see that was in some ways very limited, but she actually had uh, quite, she was very popular and became a well-known spiritualist medium, especially in San Diego, she became well-known. And that's one reason why, you know, uh, Dr. Jones picked her. Uh, But what I really loved on this particular, I think it was this website, uh, yes, it was the same website, there was a, a clip from an article, a newspaper article written about her after she had died, and I'm going to read you part of it because it's extremely touching about who this woman was. Uh, so it's called uh, Elsie Wheeler Passes at 51 by Forrest Warren. And again, it was in San Diego Union newspaper, November 27, 1938. And quote, although confined to a wheelchair all her life, Miss Elsie Wheeler, 51, who died in a local hospital yesterday, had a beaten path to her door made by men and women in all walks who sought her advice and particularly her perpetual smile. She was an ordained minister in in the spiritual faith. Elsie Wheeler's death cast a gloom over many hundreds of men, women, and children, children who knew her intimately. She was known best in the indoor sports club, and there she moved about in her little wheelchair, spreading sunshine among other handicapped persons. Often she would seek to encourage a handicapped friend who was not as bad off as herself, but she always said, don't give up. There's lots to live for. (laughs) I don't know. That one really just hit me today. I said, you know, life can be rough and you think you have it bad, but here's this woman. She lost so much family members and she had this real attitude of trying to find something good in life. And she tried to spread that to other people. So I found that really very touching. She was truly a spiritual person. And I think, you know, people like her, it, it illustrates that, you know, being on a spiritual path doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to not suffer or that you won't, you know, um, experience hardships. Sometimes you, it seems like they experience more hardships. You can see that in Edgar Casey's life. And I think uh, sometimes people think it's, you know, being spiritual, somehow it'll be easier. So I, I found that that lot of great spiritual teachers have had really arduous lives, and yet they've made something really great out of it. So she's an example of that because these Sabian symbols really, they really stuck, you know, what, what she did with, and she wanted to evidently do something meaningful. And that was instead of, you know, answering just the questions, the, the normal questions that people would come to her as a medium. Uh, So that's a little bit about each of them. So basically, uh, how you use the Sabian symbols, the first thing you would want to do is print out a chart. You can get them at astro.com. You're going to need to know, obviously, the time of your birth. So you'd want to get it rectified if you don't know the time, because you're going to want to know like the ascendant, the exact degrees. But of course, well, in general, you're not going to have the exact degrees if you don't have your time. So it's going to be difficult if you don't get your chart rectified by someone. I think that um, some Sabian astrologers use this process to help rectify the chart too. And it does seem like it might be a good idea to have an understanding of your chart from just a sort of basic level, whether you go to an astrologer, get a natal chart reading, um, instead of just jumping in, though there's no rules about this. So I'm just saying this as a suggestion. And so what what I would say uh, Bovi suggests, and which I did, 
is you write, you go and you look at all the different uh, degrees. I'm going to hold this up for you guys that can see it. You can see I've written around the, the hub and all the different phrases that go with the degrees. Uh, and basically, you write them all out uh, next to the planet or the, you know, the star or whatever that you're in your chart. And he suggested you use two different colors of ink because each each um, planet has two phrases. One is like, say, it's uh, one degree of cancer. Then you also have one degree of the opposite Capricorn, and there are two different phrases. And so you want to keep the, the same phrases in the same color. I didn't do that the first time around. It is a little more confusing. And the interesting thing about just even doing that is it's actually really fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed you know, looking them up and then writing it, you know, next to mine. This chart that I'm holding up now again is the U.S. chart because I want to talk about that. And I thought it'd be really fun. There's a couple that are really interesting of the Sabian symbols that anybody could really see is very accurate about the U.S. So that would be the first thing. Uh, and then I haven't, you know, read, I only got Dr. Jones' book recently because it was a little hard to get. And so I'm mostly using the methods coming from Bovi, but I, I kind of trust him because of his respect for Dr. Jones's work. And so what he says as far as like, you know, how should you, you know, approach it? Um, you should, first of all, do all of the planets, he says. And then he also suggests that you do Chiron and the four major asteroids, Vesta, Pallas, Athena, Ceres, and Juno as well as the four angles, ascendant, midheaven, descendant, and nadar, and the sun, moon, moon midpoint. Uh, he also says that to pay attention to any peregrine planets, and for those of you that don't know what that is, it's any planet not in Ptolemaic aspect with any other body in the horoscope. So it's kind of like hanging out there by itself, really. Um, and then he, now this was interesting, he also says any planet or point lying within the Aries point with within two degrees of all zero points of cardinal signs. So I'm not sure what that's about, but that's his suggestion. Those are the, the things that you start with. And I've decided, now that I'm going deeper into it, I'm going to start with something even less. I'm going to, I think it's good to go ahead and do the whole chart, like write them all out, but I've decided I'm going to start with sort of that holy trinity, the sun, the moon, and the ascendant, and think about that and see what comes up. Another way you might want to um, start is to sort of look and see if there's any major transits touching one of your planets and maybe look at the, the two degrees. That, that might just be good for like if you need, you have a problem in the immediate uh, presence. So maybe you're in your Saturn return and you really want to see what's going on with, with that. That might be kind of a useful thing to do. But I think it's, it, I don't think there's any rush in, in doing it. I think you should take your time. And I'm going to start giving you some examples of what they are. And you're going to see that there's a, there's definitely, um, it's very different from anything in astrology that you'll have read, which I really like since this show is also about the obscure and esoteric. And this is definitely more obscure and esoteric. And I also found out very recently there are people that practice this kind of astrology called Sabian astrology. So I wanted to do it myself, but I think it'd be really interesting to get a reading from somebody that is a Sabian astrologer because it's just got a whole nother different level of, of how to work with the chart uh, with the intention, it seems like, to understand yourself and to be able to work with positive and negative influences. 
Uh, so I, I got the idea from Jones that he is more sort of esoteric in the sense that using astrology to help evolve you in your consciousness, not necessarily just predicting events, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that has been more and more my own interest too. And the, the reason I'm bringing up the U.S. chart is there's a lot going on in it. And also I think it's a way to approach how do we change the consciousness of a country and that you can look at it symbolically. So the first one I wanted to point out was um, the U.S. chart, and the one I'm using is for the 4th of July, 1776, 5, 10 p.m., and it's it's called USA number one on astro.com. And so in that chart, the sun is in 13 degrees, 19 uh, minutes, 22 seconds of cancer. Now, when you go to look up the degrees, one of the things I found a little confusing is do I look at 13 or 14? And what is suggested that you always round up to the next degree, unless it's zero. Then you can, so it's, if it's 13 degrees zero, nothing at all, then you can look at 13 degrees. Otherwise, always round up and, and look in the book at 14 degrees of cancer. And so this is the first um, image for that. It's a very old man facing a vast dark space to the northeast. And then the opposite of that, is an ancient bas relief carved in granite. And the two keywords um, that Jones uses, sanction and magic. So I, I loved a very old man facing a vast dark space. It has a kind of hermit sound to it, but it does have a literal connotation when you think of the people that founded the U.S. in terms of the founding fathers. <laughs> and certainly they weren't all old men, but they are now. And that, that was, it's really, it just reminded me of that, you know, and, and that idea of, of looking into this dark space, this vast dark space is very creative. It's like, you know, they don't know what they're really doing. It's, it's a void. And so that immediately caught my attention. And then the other one, an ancient bass relief carved in granite. Wow. That's really interesting because, you know, everyone talks about the United States being like this new experiment and, and innovative, but, but then it's saying that in a way that it's really based in something really ancient. That's what I, I feel. I said, wow, this perhaps isn't quite true. And, and, and from what I understand, they did take some ideas from the indigenous people, like Lakota in terms of the, when the, I don't know if it was the Declaration of Independence or some of their laws. And then also the idea that maybe there has been another civilization before and that was destroyed somehow, whether it was Atlantis or, or something like that. So that's what ma it made me think of immediately when I, I looked at the two together. But I really, I thought that the first one was particularly telling. And then let's look at the moon was really interesting. So the United States has, as a moon, it's in Aquarius. And uh, when you look at the degrees of Aquarius, it comes out, it's like 27, 10 minutes. So it's 28 that you look up. And I, I particularly, because I'm a bird lover, I particularly love the, these two uh, symbols. The first is a tree felled and sawed. And the second is many little birds on the limb of a larger tree. And what's interesting is the moon is in Aquarius, but it's also in the third house, which is a very, it's communication. And it's connected, some people think it's connected to Gemini. That's not always, you know, everything, but it, it certainly can be connected to Mercury and communication. And particularly, you know, anyone that sees those little birds at night when they get together in the trees, we call them like the talking trees. 
and they're just chatting away and chatting away and you just wonder what the heck are they talking about, you know? And that's what it immediately reminded me of, this like chatter, chatter, chatter. And, and in a way, you know, maybe because of technology, you, you really do get a sense that Americans are very like that, you know? And certainly there's more to it than that. There's not like a literal thing, but I loved the little bird aspect and, and the communication. And then the tree felled and saw, that, that has a, a little bit of, it could be positive or negative when you think about it as a symbol, like, well, why was the tree felled? Was it something to positive that you were trying to create or are you clear cutting or what's going on here? So that one has a little bit of a somber energy to it. So I, I, I thought there was a real interesting contrast between those two phrases. Uh, and then the next one I sort of, I, I pulled out quite a few, but I'm going to try and go through the, at least the three, the, the sun, the moon, the ascendant. Now, the Ascendant is also really interesting, and I actually have this at my midheaven, these two degrees, and it's it's 12 degrees, 21 minutes Sagittarius, and so the Ascendant key, the first symbol for it is a widow's past brought to light, and then the opposite is a great musician at his piano. Now, that some of these are obviously very, you know, in a way obscure in the sense, well, what does that mean? How could I use that to understand my chart? But again, it, by just sort of looking at it intuitively and thinking about it, what, what arises in your mind? You don't have to analyze it. And that's what I like about it. You can just kind of sit with it and think, well, what does that remind me of as a symbol? And, and with symbols, I find it's good to start with your own, your own association first. So you just think what comes to mind. And, you know, a widow's past brought to light. Well, it, it does sound like there's some element of, you know, knowledge or understanding that comes finally forth from someone who is alone. And both, both images have a very solitary feeling to me that the great musician at his piano, though technically there could be an orchestra, but still a pianist does have that very, you know, they're alone with their instrument and oftentimes they are the only one on stage. And then you have this widow, which I find interesting. Uh, you know, it's a female compared to like the son with the very old man image. So it, there's a kind of mystery to it, but there's there's some sort of sense of solving that mystery. There's also to me, when I think about both of them, that idea of um, independence and individuality, which is a big part of how we present ourselves and maybe it's also part of our evolution is how can we be uh, an independent, individualist country in a very positive way. Like, for instance, the, the, the great musician at his piano, in other words, achieving it in a way that is creative and inspiring instead of something that would not be. So I, I thought that was really very telling. Uh, and I thought they're both really, really strong images. You can almost like paint them, I would say. And then the last one I want to mention is because I will be talking pretty soon about Mars in Gemini because it's going to be, it's already in Gemini and it is a big deal in the United States chart. Uh, not only is it in Gemini, but it's going to be going into retrograde starting, um, well, it depends on what time. It's roughly either the October 30 or 31st, depending on what time you use. And then it's going to stay there until January 13th. And uh Mars retrograde doesn't happen as often as Venus and Mercury. It's every two and some months, like two years and two months or something like that. Mars will go into retrograde. So it's a little more unusual. 
And it's un, it's going to impact the U.S. definitely because we have Mars in Gemini in 21 degrees. So it's going to be going over and back and forth over the Mars and Gemini in the chart, and it's right around the election. So I thought, whoa, that's kind of intense. <laughs> so I thought, well, let me look up just for fun. What are the Sabian symbols of Mars and Gemini in the degrees that we have it? So you're going to love the first one. The first one is a barn dancer, and then the opposite is a Chinese laundry. And I thought, oh, yeah, a barn dancer. That really does describe sometimes the United States right now. I mean, the bar, a barn dance can certainly be very celebratory. You have people going in and dancing, and there's kind of a wildness to it. But it, there's also an element of chaos and drunkenness and getting into fights, you know, and superficiality. And I thought, well, that's really a good description of, of us right now on some level, symbolically, the barn dance. And then the, the Chinese laundry, that, that's an interesting comparison. Like you think of, you know, Chinese laundry, you really think of the immigrants and, and how they set up the laundry mats and still a lot of them still own the laundry mats in order to sort of be part of, of the United States and that idea of uh, work ethic and cleaning and order. So you have chaos and then you have order and yet it's coming from outside of of the barn dance. It's coming from a different world. And what is interesting to me about that is there's a lot of planets in the United States seventh house. And uh, because we have Sagittarius as an ascendant, Jupiter is considered to be the ruling planet. So that idea that our, you know, our relationship with, you know, other countries uh, is very significant to me and, and one that I hope we can learn to uh, embrace better and to realize how much we can learn through relationships with other countries and not necessarily dominate and you know abuse our power, which does seem to be some of the unevolved energy of the U.S. chart. Uh, now, one of the things I did also want to mention about Mars in general is it's considered to be by some more unevolved planet. And so the reason people sort of maybe don't like Mars is because it's that unconscious version of Mars. And so by you being conscious with Mars, whether through the United States chart or your own chart, you actually help the planet's consciousness evolve. So the higher end of Mars, of course, would be kind of like the noble warrior, courage, asserting yourself. And, and of course, the lower end is fighting and aggression and, you know, war. And so the idea by talking about Mars and bringing it to consciousness, that's the first step to help each other out. And so I don't want people to think this Mars in retrograde is going to be heavy, it's going to be meaningful because of where it hits the United States chart. And it's up to each of us to determine how we're going to relate to that. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things that people talk about with retrograde, which is true, that the planet does seem to slow down, this has to do with the orbit. But what it's really about to me is a planet spends more time than normal in one sign, and it goes over certain points more than once. So it's repetitive. It's like, to me, that's a better word for retrograde in general, is that you're going, it's going to spend more time there, you get to know it more, and it repeats itself because it moves forward, back, forward, 
And that's why it's a time to, in a way, to reflect. But I, I think it's more kind of a plowing energy. And, and Mars and, Gen- and Gemini can be quite uh, light. You know, it's an air sign and it's moving. Um, maybe maybe don't be too speedy is what I would say. It's because you definitely probably could actually literally go too fast with Mars and Gemini. So anyway, uh, that's really a, a good start with the Sabian symbols in astrology. Um I would totally suggest, like I said, getting both these books. Uh, don't be intimidated by it. I, was, I wasn't really at all. I just think it's a really fun way to look at yourself and you don't have to necessarily, you know, start it all at once. And then, um, you know, take your time. I think it's good. I've started reading like all of the books and so just skipping to the parts about me, which is what we almost always do. <laughs> and because there's some really interesting ideas about the Sabian symbols and each of the authors also have some good thoughts about astrology too. So I would recommend reading most of the book and, and maybe don't not necessarily reading all the, the key um, degrees in the beginning uh, might be a little bit overwhelming. So I hope that this is something that you'll dig into and enjoy like I have been enjoying. I plan on continuing to do that. I'm going to talk more about Mars and Gemini and retrograde in future shows. So have a great week. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together.